0: All right, welcome everybody to Legal Tech Week for August 5th, 2022. This is the we bid farewell to Zach Warren edition of Legal Tech Week. Uh, we're all sad to say we'll talk more about that in in a moment. But uh, first, let's just get the uh, traditional introductions out of the way. I'm Bob Ambrosi, I write the blog Lost Sites and uh, have the uh podcast, Law Next, and the Legal Tech Directory, Law Next. And uh, Zach, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Hey, everybody. I'm Zach Warren. For the next, let's say, two hours and 57 minutes, I am the editor-in-chief of ALM's Legal Tech News. Um, you also previously could see my byline on law.com and other ALM brands. Uh, next to me is my wife, Claire. Hello. <laughs> yeah who we're here because uh bob promised champagne toast so i have uh champagne here yeah we all
0: do hold on we'll do the toast yeah, in a we'll second that. let's get, we'll get let's, let's get around so hang on there claire we're really happy to have you here and if you want to hang around for the whole i can welcome to stay for the whole hour and even like tell us your top story of the week uh get <laughs> <You laughs> uh that. well maybe we but, do i don't know probably, uh, probably better than some of ours
1: uh, she's a working pediatrician. Probably not a happy story would be the top uh, story. All right, all so right. you don't, you don't want that.
0: Yeah. No, not a happy story. Like the Alex Jones discovery story. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, and, uh, let's see, Joe, you want to introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm Joe Patrice from above the law and the thinking like a lawyer podcast. I am, uh, going to have both of those jobs even after the show ends so uh, depending on what you say yeah Yeah. well okay. <laughs> no actually it doesn't depend on what I say. <laughs> that's
0: that's totally true yeah all right uh caroline i'm so thrilled to have you with us this week
3: yeah great to be here thank you I, i'm gonna quit regularly if it means we get to drink champagne <laughs> by myself um yeah, Caroline Hill, uh, editor in chief of Legal IT Insider. Uh, it's great to be here. Sad to see Zach go, but know that we're going to see you around very soon.
2: Right,
0: and uh, Victor.
4: Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Victor Lee, assistant managing editor for the ABA Journal, uh, covering business of law and technology. And you know, I'm also here to bid fond farewell to Zach. Uh, best of luck in your new, in your new, in your new endeavor. You know, I'm sure you'll crush it. And uh, you know, best of luck to you. And you know, hopefully, we'll see you around as well. And, uh, you know, like Joe, I hope to have my job after this uh, session as well. But if, you know, Alex Jones is right about the global cabal of like, you know, demon, demonic Satanists or whatever, then I think none of us are safe. (laughs)
5: Uh, Yeah.
0: Uh, And uh, Gene.
5: I'm Gene O'Grady. I am the, um, let's see, Bob always calls me the publisher. That sounds very serious. Of Dewey Be Strategic. And I also, which covers, you know, legal information, legal. Uh, knowledge and anything else that I'm interested in. And uh, I also write for Legal Tech Hub.
0: All right. And uh, all right, well, uh, yeah, we're, we're really sorry to say that Zach is leaving our panel after being on the panel for a long time. Uh, Joe, are you are you ready to attempt? We are going to try and actually do some uncorking here on camera. Here, I yeah. don't know if that's going to if that's going to work. Uh, so slightly I'm dangerous. some champagne. Uh, slightly dangerous, only because this is in my office and I'm. There we go. Ooh, very quiet. Very
1: quiet. Yeah. Okay. See, I didn't trust myself, which is why I poured pre-show. <laughs> and
0: I've got this really fancy fan- champagne flute that I picked up uh, at a at a high end store down the street. Uh, but. Uh, Zach, uh, you, you've really been a, a really valued, uh, insightful uh, and uh, uh, contributor to this show. I really appreciate your perspectives and your contributions. And I also have to say that you've just done, a—I just think you've done a fantastic job as, as editor of the magazine and, and really, I, I feel like turned it around in some ways from, from doing a decent job of covering legal tech to really doing a great job of doing in-depth depth coverage of, of legal tech. So cheers and congratulations. Thank
1: you very much. Appreciate it.
0: Do we clink with when we're one person? <laughs> just I like, drink alone. <clears throat>
5: yeah. Thank
0: you. Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, bye, Claire. Thanks, bye. <laughs> that's it. Just bye. Drink and, Just drink and run. Right. That's it.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's actually technically on call tonight, so um, she said oh. two sips and that's about
2: it. But okay. wait, drink and run has been an option this whole time. I've been on the show. So <laughs> <I can't. laughs>
0: Yes, but we know in your case you're not done drinking until the show's over, so it doesn't matter.
2: Right, over, yeah.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Well, uh, um, now getting around to the meat of things, um, Zach, I, I think you get honors uh, today uh, as uh, as our first presenter of the day.
1: Cool. So, yeah. In the flavor of valued and good journalism. Let's talk Alex Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's always weird to me when you see an e-discovery story break through to the mainstream, but that's very much what we had this week when Alex Jones' lawyer, kind of in a Perry Mason moment bombshell, revealed, Oh, by the way, Alex Jones' attorney sent me the entirety of his cell phone contents for the past couple of years. Um, furthermore, particularly from the legal angle, he said... Yeah. They sent an email saying, hey, disregard this, but didn't actually do anything legally to try and claw any of the information back. Um, They gave them the 10 days, still did not. And the plaintiff's attorney said, yeah, this is fair game. Um, Alex Jones's attorneys obviously are trying to trying to fight that, but it kind of seems like they royally messed up <laughs> in sending over all of that information. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting couple of days following that, uh, Isha Marath at our publication talked to a bunch of e-discovery people that people would know, like Mary Mack and Craig Ball. And everybody kind of said, yeah, I mean, this is dumb <laughs> what they did, and it's just a really, really weird story. Of you see e discovery screw ups, e discovery screw ups happen, but the fact that they compounded it by just basically not doing anything about it um, is really weird.
2: I mean, it, it made me wonder if somewhere along the line they decided they could potentially use an ineffective assistance of counsel defense in a civil <laughs> defamation case or something. Uh, well, they can't. Um, but it, it's really extra problematic because even if, and as uh, Liz Dye's been covering this story for us, and it's like, yeah, like bang, uh, the, the attorney for the plaintiffs sent, the, sent along what she terms, and I think we all. Uh, privately term this uh, term it this in practice, whether or not this is the official name, the "Hey Idiot" letter uh, is sent along. The "Hey Idiot" letter, and like you, you know, you know, you sent us this, uh, and then didn't do anything to claw it back. Given that that happened, there's going to be some back and forth about whether or not this "Please Disregard" is sufficient under Texas law. But the problem for Jones is who cares if it's sufficient under Texas law now that this is known the FBI or the and the January 6th committee has already subpoenaed it the FBI is going to uh, all of this stuff is eventually going to uh, get in their hands now uh, and there's also ethical concerns because putting aside whether or not this should have come out it seems to suggest that Jones's lawyer was comfortable with him perjuring himself on the stand Multiple times with information that he knew to be untrue as a lawyer, because he had possession of this. Uh, It, it's real bad. Uh, And like the, they have a potential argument for maybe this shouldn't have come up in this hearing because we did enough to claw it back, and that's uh, only the very beginning of their problems.
4: Yeah, maybe I've been listening to too many Alex Jones clips over the last couple of weeks, so my my brain has just melted. <laughs> but you know, my 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 mind immediately went to maybe this is some giant conspiracy to make Alex Jones look like a victim, so that he can say, "Oh, even my lawyers were in on it." See, my lawyers who are part of the deep state and they're trying to screw me over. See, look how look how look how terrible things are. So buy some more of my, you know, bone um, density pills or whatever he's talking. I don't even know. Um, yeah, it's just it's. <laughs> Because, because just, just kind of like, 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 looking at sort of the, a lot. Because, like, I, I have no idea how much he's worth. I have no idea, you know, if if his bankruptcy filing is legit or not. But if he has information in his cell phone that would contradict that, it would seem like, okay, well, you really wouldn't want that information out there for the opposing counsel to have, because now that they're determining damages, you know, <laughs> um, if because I mean I think he was saying that like two point one million dollars would bankrupt his company, but they're saying well he could be worth in excess of like you know what six hundred million or something. Or, I, I don't even know, but. But yeah, it's just like it's just a lot. A lot of things. A lot of dominoes could fall from this. I mean, it, the January sixth stuff. I mean, that re- if if, if I, I think there was a report that said that like Donald Trump specifically reportedly wanted both Alex Jones and like Roger Stone and some other people at that at at you know in Washington that day. I was like, well, why? Like, why did he want those guys specifically? It was just because he likes their he likes their stuff. He likes their material. He's a fan. No, it's because maybe we'll find out because it's, it's, it's in his phone that goes back two years. So. It just it's it's a monumental screw up that could have like huge consequences, and and it's so bad that it makes you wonder if it was all prearranged.
0: Yeah, uh, there was a there was a quote uh, I saw in one article about it from University of Pittsburgh Law Professor David Harris, uh, who said that this dramatic courtroom moment was quote a breathtaking set of layered multiple catastrophes. I I, th- I think that that kind of nails it right there. Uh, it, but uh, it, it's also interesting uh, kind of Zach is to your like original point of it, the, the uh, spillover of, of legal tech into the into the world at large. Uh, we, we don't see that so often yet. Just last week we were talking about uh, the story of uh, uh, of, uh, you know, uh, Elon Musk's supposed affair with a, a, a legal tech. Uh, company founder so uh, here's a couple of weeks in a row in which uh, we've seen this bridge between our insular little world of legal tech and, uh, and and the rest of the the rest of the world I will say you mentioned Craig ball Craig ball wrote a post on his ball in this court uh, blog which kind of goes into a lot of detail kind of analysis analyzing the the Texas rules and, and how this played out and it really helps kind of put it in perspective from from a lawyer's point of view and just makes you realize all the more how Jones's lawyer just effed up on, on this. Uh, it just seems, I mean, either, either it's a conspiracy, as Victor says, or he just really screwed up.
1: That was one thing when we were talking to him too that he really did emphasize is people screw up discovery. Like discovery rules are pretty complicated. A lot of intricacies, like I see Mark Palmer has a bunch of questions that are arising out of this in the chat, which I think are very good ones. But the overall point is because there are so many questions, there are so many ways to screw up these things will happen. However, with that said, there's, if you're a council who's trying to not do this, you have to realize that you have to be like cognizant of the fact that sometimes you screw up. And when you do try everything in your power to rectify it as quick as possible, this isn't just going to go away. Like, oh, I'm gonna put my fingers in my ears. Maybe they just won't look at it and everything's gonna be okay. No, you have to be proactive in trying to like either snap something back or figure out something to collect that data. It's just kind of, that's kind of the most wild thing to me isn't the fact that it happened in the first place, kind of the fact that they let it go on long enough so that it could be a smoking gun at drive.
3: I was still surprised though, that they did this, given that we what we know of the discovery process and litigation, and you know, I, I take Joe's point entirely in terms of the, the total monumental screw up. But I was my my first take was. How on earth could he have this just like surprise big reveal in court, right? With like not get bring in mind that the, the the hoops that you have to go through to, to file evidence. And it I mean, I need to read the post that you're talking about, Bob, to explain the Texas law specifically, but I was just like, how on earth could he just do this ta-da <laughs> in court with like no notice of it? It seemed inc- that that to me as a former litigator seemed pretty incredible. With no, you know, yeah, any words, the whole thing's just a mystery. <laughs>
0: Right, and as several people have said, those kind of Perry Mason moments just just don't happen anymore <laughs> because that's exactly why we have these rules of discovery or disclosure or whatever you want to call them.
3: Um, yeah, you don't just suddenly go, "Oh, surprise!" <laughs> <laughs> as much as everyone might want to.
0: Yeah. Um, well, uh, I guess maybe we've we've uh, beat that into the ground, but. Uh, I, I, we're, we're realizing that our, our panel of, of ace journalists here forgot to ask Zach the, the most important question, which is, where the heck you going, Zach?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I probably should have mentioned that off the top too, but uh, just a little too focused on the champagne, I guess, or anything else. Um, I'm headed to the Thomson Reuters Institute, where my official title is going to be Enterprise Content Manager, Tech and Innovation. But practically what it means is I'm just kind of the Thomson Reuters Institute's tech and innovation expert for anything they need. So I'm going to be doing a bit of writing, um, helping out with some of the research, doing some speaking. Um, Some of my stuff will be to the Reuters legal site, but for the most part, it's going to stay with the Institute. Um, Previously, if you had worked with David (laughs) Curl at all before he left for Kira slash Latera in early 2020, um, essentially, that's the same exact role that I'm going to be going into. So I will still be around legal tech, not quite the journalism side of things. So since it'll be a little bit more thought leadership, but there will be a heavy element of talking to the same people that I've been talking to for years, kind of hearing about what is the future of law? What are some of the trends that people should look out for? And um, just kind of being not so much a futurist, but talking with very smart people about where they see Um, not only the legal profession, I should say, but also some of the other Thomson Reuters verticals that they work in going to be doing some more in tax, some more in government, some more in ESG as well. So um, I'm excited for it. It's a way to build on what I've done here at LTN, but kind of expand my horizons a little bit into some of those other verticals and also just do some more of the grander thinking stuff, I guess you could say, as compared to trying to keep up to with the day-to-day news, which I do enjoy and will keep reading, but I think just ready for another challenge right now.
0: Yeah, it sounds perfect, perfect for you, uh, Zach, and they're, they're lucky to have you, and uh, uh, we, uh, you're, you're welcome, welcome to come back anytime and, and, and uh, comment or, or talk about the uh whatever you want to talk about on this panel for sure.
5: Yes, walk in the hall, walk through the doorway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll give you a, we'll give you a key.
1: I appreciate it. And yeah, especially as I, I'm really excited about doing a little bit more in the research side because that's something I dabbled in in ALM, but especially I got an MBA a couple of years ago and I have a little bit of an ana- analytics background too. So being able to dive in more will be good. And when some of those like tech related surveys will be coming out, um, I'll probably be the point person for interviews on the other side of the mic for stuff like that. So um, you'll you'll be hearing from me for sure. All right. Well,
0: a tip: don't don't give an interview to anybody on this panel except me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just uh, getting in there first. I like it. Yeah, it works. Yeah. Just just saying.
0: Yeah. Um. Uh, or maybe maybe Caroline. She's
1: in the UK. <laughs>
3: it's, who buy, it's who buys the most drinks. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> oh, did you say that on the record? That's supposed to be off the record.
0: Uh, all right. Well, um, speaking of Caroline, uh, you've got a story that I, I sort of related to the, the Alex Jones story uh, this week, insofar so far as it involves evidence in court and all that sort of stuff. Do uh, you want to talk yeah. about that?
3: Yeah, it's an, it's another one of those sort of yeah court court cases spills over. So um it's quite bizarre actually so it was a former jones day private equity partner this is a fairly long running case it's been going that they 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 filed the claim form in 2019 but what happened this week was that the lawyer from jones day got found um to be in contempt of court for deleting evidence because he instructed Um, the IT director of the company that he was working for to delete an app called 3CX, um, which is a, some people, I wasn't, I'm not actually, I've not used it, but anyway, it's a business app. It's used for text, voice, voice messages. Um, And it was very, so, so I'm a former litigator and I found the judgment to be, it was kind of one of those quite crunchy ones where you have to be careful when you're writing it because he found him to be criminally in contempt of court. So he's very clear to mention that it's criminal, not civil. Um, and also he didn't find him to be in contempt on all counts. What he did find was that um, he was in t- he intentionally interfered with the administration of justice by deleting electronic documents. So he didn't, uh, so a, a, search, a search, it is a discovery story. So a search order after um, the claim so i i don't know how much we want to go, go into detail but it relates to online groceries and and there was a kind of competitive process and one of the key players was talking to somebody in his former company and Accardo um that brought, brought decided that they were they were sharing confidential information between companies and they they so they they um, issued a search order and it was at the point there where they issued the search order um that his name is raymond mckeeve he he then instructed the IT director to delete this app, which, and, and there was lots of sort of crunchy, the judgment was actually, I think just that from holiday, my brain, it little hurt my brain a little bit to me, <laughs> but <laughs> we're talking about, um you know, did it, did it have confidential, did they, they didn't, they couldn't see the evidence, so did it contain confidential information? And they, he was looking at, it's quite interesting from a legal tech perspective, because he was looking at the type of app it was and what sort of information it's used for. And he was saying, well, it, it doesn't, it can't contain attachments. So they couldn't have shared these confidential documents. So he decided actually that it couldn't contain confidential information within the, the, the way that was defined. And then, but the other thing is, um, it, it contains 3cx contains um a burner what do they call it a burner someone else on someone else here might know but basically you could destroy it like that and they had referred to that in previous communication as to why they were using 3cx that it, you could just destroy it like that it was it was actually in um in both them both under um when they gave testimony Etc but he just the judge decided that burner box that's it the judge decided that um that they hadn't convinced him beyond reasonable doubt that that was why they used this app anyway it was it was it's just weird i'll post i'll post nothing going on about it for too long i'll yeah. post i'll post about
0: it I, I put the link in the oh, uh, chat already yeah
3: i found i found yeah. i found him personally i mean but, but to be fair superficial reading um he seemed. The judge seemed to be fairly kind, in my opinion, given some of the conversations that had been had and that they deliberately... But there were lots of other things I haven't gone into that perhaps went more in their favour. So, But yeah, it was interesting.
0: So it sounds like it's sort of a spoliation case, but without really being sure that anything was spoliated, if that's a word, if that's a verb.
3: They decided yeah. that... Yeah, they decided that it was sort of information that was... I mean, he, he was quite technical. They decided it was information that was relevant to, that w- would be needed you know they would need to see it whether whether it was relevant whether it was just, you know prejudicial or whatever that it was something that they would have wanted to see so it was simply it kind of um he went through all these <laughs> but it took me back to my law degree talking about actors rares and men's rare a lot <laughs>
4: <Yes>. <laughs>
3: um but yeah no it's um but nonetheless So so he's he's been found to be in contempt of court and the hearing's going to be on the 4th of October when they'll look at further what the consequences will be, both in terms of costs and any other consequences.
1: That's interesting, because I mean, I I think you're only going to be seeing this more and more. Um, I, I know I was reading a stat recently that, WhatsApp, not only internationally, everybody uses WhatsApp, but in the US as well, it's on the rise. And WhatsApp historically has been very tough to try and get information out of for the purposes of discovery. Um, A lot of people have talked about your Snapchats and ephemeral messagings of the world being an issue as well. I'm not sure how many people are using Snapchat as much these days, but even so, I'm just imagining that there's only going to be more and more chat Functions that are very purposefully ephemeral. So, it's how do courts handle that? Is it just kind of presumption of innocence that? Oh, everybody's using these sort of chat platforms. So maybe not necessarily anything bad is happening versus like, how do you prove that somebody was specifically using one of those apps for something malicious? Um, I'm imagining there's going to have to be some test or some standard that federal courts in the US and courts internationally are going to have to uh, um, try and figure out, but I'm not quite sure they're there yet. Yeah. yeah.
3: So I mean, there were other circumstances that there were there were he gave certain justifications. His wife, this, the the guy from, as um, I say, Jones Day. He he um yeah, Jones Day. He he his wife was a politician, and that, that there was some reference to her within R C X, um, which I won't go too much into detail. And he said, "Oh, that's the reason he deleted it." But to me, there's got to be some kind of, you know, if. if unless there's a really good reason for deleting it, it seems to me that why on earth would you, it feels to me like the weight has to be very much against them, right? You, If you're using this for business communication around a deal, and then when there's some kind of search, you delete it. To me, normally, under normal circumstances, unless there's a really good reason to not find this, the weight surely has got to go against you. I, I don't know how you would frame that, because obviously you can't prove that, there's a, But I don't know. Yeah, you're right. There's just got to be some kind of like test case, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm going to use this as an opportunity to transition to my own story, only because it's not directly on point, but it all kind of uh, involves tech competence here, right, or, or tech incompetence. Uh, and I've talked a lot about, you know, the sort of duty of technology competence as states have been adopting it over the years. Uh, and in the past, there had been two states that had taken it a little bit farther and adopted a, uh, a duty, uh, a responsibility for lawyers to take uh, CLE training in technology matters uh, in order to become more competent in tech. Uh, and this week, uh, actually, this happened uh, back in June, but I wrote about it this week. Uh, the, the New York became the first state to take that even further and to mandate that attorneys take continuing legal education courses, specifically in cybersecurity, privacy and data protection. Uh, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, I, I say that living in a state that has no mandatory CLE, so it's easy for me to say it. Uh, but um, it, it's, it's interesting kind of the approach that they took to it because they've kind of defined two classes of CLE courses, two, two uh, categories of CLE courses in uh, cybersecurity and, and data protection. One on sort of the ethics of it, uh, and the other on the practice issues, uh, uh, and so one of the courses looks at uh, you know a lawyers' ethical obligations and professional responsibilities regarding the protection of electronic data and communications. The other one looks more at the practice of law and uh, the technological aspects of protecting client and law law office uh, electronic data and communications. Um, and it, it's a, there's a one hour uh, minimum requirement every two years. So it, this is not heavy lifting for anybody, um, but I think it's significant and it's, uh, they're also allowed to apply up to three hours of this to their sort of general ethics training requirements. Uh, uh, I think they have six hours every two years for, for regular lawyers and eight hours for newer lawyers or something like that, or four and six, I think it is uh but uh anyway i i think it's uh it, it's notable and uh you know again i, I well i wouldn't be surprised if, if this was a, a, yet another uh development that that other states start to uh emulate in some way
4: yeah i mean i think you know you can you know you can knock out this requirement in like one afternoon one afternoon of a tech show where yeah. right? you go to like right. one or two sessions and boom you're done um or you know legal tech or whatever it's just right. it's like it's a good. I mean, it's. It, it, I mean, I don't. I don't know what other states are like. I know when I when I was in New York. Um, I think yeah, you had to. Um, I think th- I think they audit you every two years, or they or you have to show compliance every two years. So every I think, I years, think that's yeah, where so it comes from. Yeah. Uh, why you have to you know, do that? Um, and then uh, I know yeah, you had to take take different categories. Like there's like a certain number of certain number of hours of ethics, certain number of hours of practice, certain number of hours of, of right. I think something else um so yeah i mean it's it, I, you know I, I think i think it's a good it's it's a good thing it, it forces you to um you know to, to keep up to date with it, with an important thing that could you know really uh you know screw up your practice if you don't watch it and and i think it's it's something that hopefully will catch on and 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 it's nice to see, and in, in, you know a big state like new york doing it you know hopefully that means that more states will will kind of you know take you know follow follow along and and, and do so as well
1: yeah Uh, What I'm wondering, too, is if this is something for the ethics board to say, like, say a law firm gets breached, small law in the future, uh, the ethics board can point to, well, you had training about this. This is something you should have known about because you have had to take classes and have been certified in classes. Um, So maybe that's something people just can't plead ignorance about cybersecurity issues if something does pop up moving forward.
3: I wonder if it could go towards, you know, um, sort of to show that, to show your diligence as well. I wonder, like here we would sort of have to show you've got a DPO, you've ticked all the boxes. I wonder if firms will be able to use this in order to sort of show that they did everything possible in order to avoid a breach.
0: Maybe, although it does seem pretty minimal to show that too, to to be as evidence that they've done everything possible. It
3: really seems minimal, yeah, the (laughs) Yeah, the hour. But in terms of like cumulatively, whether they could kind of like add that, whether it would be sort of an incentive to add that to their mixture of things that they're doing.
5: Yeah. Yeah. But playing the devil's advocate, I mean, it's such a complex issue. Is it silly to require only an hour? And somebody else, you know, pointed to that, you know. Yeah. I yeah, I don't yeah. know whether should you give people should people walk away thinking they know something about it about cybersecurity after an hour.
2: I mean, was, well, I mean yeah. but all they need to do is be scared about it, right? Like, right. I guess okay,
5: fair enough. Half of the because half
2: <laughs> these people aren't even scared about it. And this this brings me to one of my all time favorite Bob stories. Uh, early on <laughs> in me uh, being a writer, I was live tweeting about some legal tech uh, panel where somebody was talking about like mandatory CLE for tech. And some prominent person on Twitter, uh, legal person on Twitter, I won't name who it, it is or that it was Brian Tannenbaum, like goes, <laughs> what, kind of st- what kind of stupid state would ever mandate something like that? And out of nowhere, not even in this panel, I hadn't even talked to him. Out of nowhere, within seconds, Bob tweets back, um, your state requires that actually? It has for a while. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've got a savior. Uh, but yeah, no, um, that's the issue. Like, it's not even that they need to learn anything. They just need to be scared about this. They need to understand they do need to learn about it. Uh, and maybe if they hear like two horror stories, that might be enough.
0: I think that's a really important point. I mean, I, I think I, I've made that point myself in the sense of saying a lot a lot of, you know, technology competence. I mean, you're not going to get every lawyer to be competent in technology, but it's more at least just sort of making them know what they don't know or what they need to know more about. Or, I mean, you know, as you say, just just putting them on alert.
3: I'd be scared if they. I'd be scared if that this does more than the firm giving them pen testing and you know like they should already be scared, right? They should already know that they're being put under the microscope and that they're going to be sent, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that they're going to be encouraged to click on, viral, you know, links. But, you know, they should. I, I'd be terrified if this is the <laughs> the thing that makes them scared personally. But but I take your point, Joe. One hundred percent. Everything's better. Like if hopefully, if maybe, we will catch or even one or two. But yeah well
0: i mean even go back to when the aba enacted or or, uh, put forward the model rule on tech competence back in 2012 the aba at the time was saying we don't really need this because tech competence is already implied in the duty of competence and and we're really just kind of putting uh, you know making express what was already implied uh but uh and so in theory lawyers should have already been thinking about tech competence well before the ABA did this, but they weren't. And simply by putting that into the rule, I mean, it's taken a while, it's taken a while to trickle down, but I think it has raised Mm. uh, awareness and and raised thinking about this. So there is something to be said, I think, for just making official some of these things, even if they don't really have a whole lot of, you know, direct impact, I I think they, they, they have some trickle down effect.
3: And cumulative effect, hopefully.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, devil's advocate, maybe we'll go with you next. And, uh, Gino Grady, <laughs> yeah, what, what have you got this week?
5: So my story was,
0: whoops, you're muted.
5: I was trying to post oh, yeah. my, my link. So my positive. story was about Bloomberg having gotten an interview, um, right. With the former uh, and now I'm blanking on his name, David. Oh my Stephen God, Stephen Davis.
2: Stephen Davis. <laughs> Stephen, Stephen Davis. Davis. Uh,
5: the former chairman of Dewey LaBeouf, ten years after the Dewey firm LeBeau. collapsed. And We've the funny thing it. for for me was, you know, I wrote a lot of stories back because I had known a lot of people that were there. But it, it's interesting. It's I think it's a pretty. You know, he he says he takes complete responsibility. Yet I think there was some to some extent trying to set the record straight. No, we weren't paying lawyers too much. And he came up with this interesting statistics that 5% of the lawyers generated like 90, what was it, 90% of the revenue. And that's why they had to pay people so much. But what it really, and, and he sort of implicitly criticized the culture of Dewey, Dewey Ballantyne as having been Still very much rooted in the partnership model of you know the partners get to vote on the plants and the chairs and not really wanting to delegate uh, management to professionals like him. So I mean I think it was I was interested in it just because it was such a shocking event at the time. You know it was the first firm. You know he, three of the executives were indicted. Uh, it was the first bankruptcy by a law firm. There were, you know, all these allegations of cooking the books and stuff, and yeah, and lots of people. I mean, I had friends who comp- who had been there for years and completely lost their pension. You know, they they thought they had a pension and it was gone. You know, so it was something that you know really, really had a big impact on the on the legal community. But again, tying it to today. Has the legal industry learned from that? You know, or are, are there's something that is so fragile about the partnership model, given that you have to recruit people who can walk away. They have no, they have no, t- no actual tie to the institution, no loyalty to the institution. The ins- and and I heard Bruce McEwen say this once in a talk. He said law firms exist until December 31st. And then they decide to come back into business on January 1st. They distribute the profits and then they come back. And for me, as someone who, you know, I'm relying on, you know, I relied on these people for my salary, you know. Uh, And, you know, another thing is that I mentioned in, in my post is do people who go to look at work at law firms really take do a lot of due diligence in terms of understanding the finances of the firm how how, how well can they just cuz you're an AMLO 100 firm doesn't mean you're going to be around next year you know so it was you know i th- i thought it was an interesting interview and of course it was full of david lat making david lat
3: snarkisms
5: <laughs> <laughs> well
0: that makes it worth watching just for that
3: yes yeah you know. Yeah. I thought your point Jean about culture was interesting so we've yeah. all started you know the the reasons the sort of the the many reasons financially and all of the screw-ups financially but it was interesting that one of your conclusions or the the, the, the um, documentary the lack of cultural glue that ultimately yeah. was so damaging I thought that was really interesting right well,
5: I've been through two mer- law firm mergers, and the 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 joke, the hilarious joke of merger of equals. Like it's there's always people vying for dominance. There is there's no such thing, and getting firms where basically everybody who owns the firm own, thinks they own the firm, and you know it's not like you're actually incorporating merging two corporations that have an entity. You have what, 600 owners on each side who think they, they can define the culture of the firm. So, I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, I have wondered this for years, can law firm partnerships, are they, are they really viable into the, you know, th- are they going to be around at the end of the 20, 21st century? I don't know.
3: <laughs> and it's such what, a thing they... Sorry, Jay, you
2: Oh, no, I was just going to follow on the culture part because one of the more interesting, uh, Bits of analysis towards the end of the documentary, uh, a bit of analysis that's made is if this merger had happened in 2002, that firm probably still lives. It was largely because they tried to merge two different cultures and couldn't build a cohesive new firm culture by the time the economy fell apart that killed them. And mm-hmm. that if they'd gotten another four or five years of life before that, they probably would still be here. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, uh, I knew people who were in, on both sides of that merger. And, yeah, I think, I think they absolutely would have still been around had they had a few more years.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. It must be such food for thought right now, with the volatility as it is, you know, and 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 with so many firms trying to redefine themselves, right? And there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of you know, gonna, or going to be a lot of merger activity, and people looking at their own culture, and you know, it it it's such a such a junction, isn't it, for people? And I think this is a really really timely food for thought, right, in terms of 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 how firms move forward and holding on to what's really valuable. Yeah, because I think, especially now, the thing
5: that people are seeing is that firms had done so well with uh, corporate deals until now, and now deal work has slowed down so much. I think everyone's feeling a lot of, you know, a lot of the big firms are feeling a lot of vulnerability due to that slowdown. And then there's also, I think, to some extent, the the lack of long-term investment in technology to transform. I mean, everybody's everybody talks about innovation. I'm and in fact what they do is they do little pieces of innovation but nobody actually innovates the organization they they innovate and 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 come up with new technologies for tasks but they they have never i mean to really innovate you'd have to tra- completely transform the
3: organization and that but that's what i was thinking about because you yeah. know i've seen some talks recently where a really brilliant talk where the guy said the keynote speaker said we are asking ourselves the same questions and we're we're asking ourselves the wrong questions and we're getting the wrong answers what you need if you want change you have to completely reinvent the people who are in charge right because otherwise you're going to continue to they gave tons of examples it was it was a really great speech but this is that's what i mean about this is quite timely right in terms of that cultural glue right so how do you you need to be (laughs) very careful you need to be very like I, I think that you can't tech, we all talk about this time and time again about how you, technology means nothing without cultural change right it's just you're just going to pay money and then just get blocked at every instance but this was a really timely reminder that you know about the fragility of and the and the importance of culture
0: that's exactly why I think so many law firms are threatened by the regulatory reform movement in this country mm-hmm. because it's uh, an opportunity to change the the organizational structure around the provision of legal services in a way that uh, is a complete threat to the law firm model. Uh, did anybody see that letter that w- where that article that was posted this week by some California lawyer on? You know all about how the whole like regulatory reform and, and access to justice movement is like a corporate conspiracy it was like yeah. mean, alex jones could have written this letter uh <laughs> i didn't it, see that one oh it's it's, it's well he's uh, not he's not very
4: big on lawyers right
5: now so he no wants no to avoid, well he wouldn't he might have written it Ghost ghostwritten he, he it. might have been right yeah
0: <laughs> but i i mean it was just outrageous i mean it was attacking the uh the uh, what's it called the institute for, for the advancement of legal studies or whatever it's called in in, uh, in Colorado as as being like you know controlled by corporate bigwigs and in the pocket of big corporate bigwigs and you know this the, the whole sort of this whole story about the, there being a justice gap in the country is essentially fake news and doesn't exist and it was just a crazy crazy piece i mean Crazy. well written but crazy
3: <laughs> and, and actually those new structures one of the things that we've seen here where obviously we've been able to do it for I a know. while is we've seen the birth of entirely new structures you know which and actually that that is much easier than trying to reinvent you know so the so the ones that the LS, alsps you know elevate or whatever you might call, you know they've they've been able to just reinvent the way that law is delivered but it's just the law firms you know the more traditional organizations that I think will find it hard to to reinvent themselves
0: yeah yeah
3: yeah I mean
4: for me I I thought what I thought was interesting about the whole Dewey thing is that I mean I I I wrote like sort of a retrospective you know after it all happened and everyone I talked to was like oh well the big takeaway from Dewey is that we're not going to see these gigantic guaranteed salaries anymore that's done that's over with there's no way firms can do that anymore because they'll just they'll just collapse under the weight of them and there'll, there'll be another Dewey and then sure enough now we see like all these big salaries coming back and people getting these big guarantees and people getting huge huge you know offers to jump to to, to 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 move laterally and whatnot and just like where does it end i mean i know i know that um you know hopefully you know i mean you know we, we have had we haven't had a recession in a few years now and you know whether or not we're going to slide into one is, is debatable but at some point you know the bubble's going to burst and there's going to be a firm that's going to be sitting on like sort of like what dewey was sitting on you know they're a bunch of partners making you know, multi million dollars, and then what do you do when the when the work doesn't come in?
2: Yeah.
5: So can, I of, just want to wrap before. Oh go, no, you finished. Go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to say. Oh, this was it's meaningless. But speaking of one of those partners in that documentary making way too much money, they keep using the same picture of Ralph Ferrara. And in that picture, I'm the person to his right, and they've cut it Are so you that I'm not visible. Yeah, well, because he and I did a panel about um, about some SEC reform years ago, and I'm the person sitting right next to him, and they just have the picture of him. And I'm like, just zoom out a little more, yeah, anyway.
5: Oh, wow. Well, I, I have my my funny story is that, you know, I started my blog in 2011, and I immediately got a call from someone at. Dewey LaBeouf Dewey saying, you need to change the name of your blog because they're going to think it's coming from uh, Dewey LaBeouf. And I went and I spoke to a, an intellectual property attorney and they said, no, just put a little asterisk explaining what your Dewey is. But the punchline is at that point, who would have known that my blog would outlast Dewey <laughs> <laughs> So they didn't change the name.
0: And, and probably better known at this point <laughs> um all right uh, let's see victor uh, what do you got this week
4: uh, i was just i mean um i'm always interested in like whenever whenever there's a story that you know where you have democrats republicans and people of all you know um ideologies coming together and actually like you know working for a common a common goal i, I yeah that always, that always piques my interest so uh this is an <laughs> artist <an arse> <laughs> does that uh, happen um, well uh you have 50 50 state ags who are. Uh, <laughs> Vowing, vowing a uh, vowing action against foreign robocalls and i don't know about you guys i've been getting a lot of these lately like you know me um too. yeah like and and i feel like they're getting worse um um you know a lot of a lot of a lot of ones that probably because they know i'm chinese they're like uh, a lot of you know robocalls will be in chinese and they'll be like you know um you know assuming that i know how to speak mandarin i know very little and certainly not enough to like you know understand what they're what they're trying to scam me out of but um yeah it's just i, I feel like they're getting worse they're getting more sophisticated you have a lot of. Um, I think one time I got a robocall from something that said U.S. Homeland, department of Homeland Security, so I freaked out a little bit. But then I was just like, "Well, why would they be calling me?" <laughs> and so I picked it up, and it was some guy with an Indian accent named Sean, um, who claimed that I owed back taxes. I'm like, "Wrong department, dude." So, um, so, so yeah. I mean, I, I think I think anything anything that'll like you know help get, get rid of some of these calls. But I also kind of, I also kind of feel like as a, a losing proposition because I mean, I remember when the Do Not Call Registry came out, everyone was like, "Oh, this is this is gonna." You know this this is, this is going to be this is going to be great. This is the way we're going to fight it, blah, blah blah. And people always figure out a way around it. So, you know, I think there, there'll always be some. It's like a cat and mouse game at this point. There'll always be ways to get around these things. Always, as, as the technology improves, there are always going to be ways that people will, will will be able to outbox it. But I think any kind of action to try to stop these things will be you know will be good. Um, so hopefully you know hopefully something will come with this. And if not, then you know <laughs> we can chalk it up to more more you know more of the same.
2: Are you suggesting I didn't need to give that guy my social security <laughs> numbers so that he could move the money out of Myanmar? Uh,
4: well, one of my favorite ones is they always ask me about like uh they're like, oh, you owe you owe, you owe back taxes, and if you don't if you don't pay them, then we're gonna send the cops to your to your house. I'm like, that's not how it works dude.
2: <laughs> so so I don't live in Manhattan proper anymore, but for years I did, and so I would get those ones where it's like you know, your car payment. And I was like, lol, car. (laughs) That's not how we roll here in New York, no. Right.
0: Yeah. Did did they, I mean, do they have a plan for how they stop that? I mean, how do the AGs get, I saw the headline, they're going after the carriers, but so are are the carriers somehow complicit in this?
5: They have to be. How could they not be? I think that all the time when I get all my junk mail, like like my, (laughs) my my, uh, my my system doesn't recognize that there are 10, 000, 10 gazillion of these going to everybody who's on the service. I mean, like, how could they not be able to recognize it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's true. Uh, all right. Um, there is no transition from that to Joe's story. So I'll just go to Joe's story.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that that's, that's fair enough. Uh, let me put my Timecode in as Joe remembers um, what it is oh okay good for yeah you for so yeah no codes. so uh my little you. thing you no know, I'm just putting the timecode in the uh, in the little yeah. chart um but yeah no so my uh, story today not a huge thing uh just Ironclad has uh, unveiled insights which is their new data analytics about you know what all your contracts are doing within your company uh and it got me thinking because we've we've had analytics as a buzzword for a while i think i think we've we've gone through the ai buzzword you know cycle and now we've had like an analytics buzzword cycle uh but one thing that struck me about the way they talked about their analytics that was interesting to me and maybe it's just a transactional side and doesn't have the same power within other fields like litigation but they talked a lot about building their building their system around different departments being able to get access to analytics from them. Uh, and I'd heard this when I was at CLOCK from some other vendors too, in different, just in analytics, but in, oh, you know, we design it so it can be used by, or we design it so people can get insights from, whatever, but people talking about the idea that what they want their system to now do is create You know, the the lawyers can get what they need out of it, the hyper-technical data that they need, but also sales can get what they need out of it. Marketing can get what they need out of it, yada, yada. And it struck me that maybe the next cycle that could be coming, and maybe it is just in the transactional side, is this kind of democratization of analytics, that what we're going to start hearing more about is building a system that is usable by different departments and customizable for those different departments, and maybe customizing is not the wrong word, that might be too technical. or something that where they can get what they want from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've I've been scolded by somebody that when I say customizable, that means futzing with the code as opposed to being able to create your own reports, whatever point is that, Uh, and is that going to be a new trend, at least within the transactional side? Is that our new buzzword? Uh, So thing to look out for. Uh, was all I kind of took from it.
5: I, I actually do think that's starting to happen because I know that there are people who have like you know data oceans, and then you go in and you you select the 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 uh, data sets that you want from the the data lake or whatever it is, and you you know. So if if I wanted to take business development data and look at you know what if we get a new client and they're going to go before a, a specific judge how, what's our history with that judge what's up do what have we created documents related to i mean i think it's both litigation and transactional but have have our deals ever ended up in litigation i mean i think there's a lot of interesting questions when if you took both your transactional data and your litigation data and you took your internal data and and compared it to or merged it with external sources, you could start asking a lot of interesting questions, but you're absolutely right. Everybody does not wanna ask the same questions. Everybody has their own use cases. But I think the issue is, our, it goes back to the culture thing. Our law firms actually set up to, when they start down this road to think about, interview everybody across the spectrum and say, if, if you could get access to this data, what would, you, what would you need access to and what kind of reports would you want? I think it's very much happening ad hoc. And it's sort of like the loudest voice in the room gets it built their way. And they're not necessarily understanding all the other use cases throughout the firm. Well,
2: and the biggest voice in the room is another issue too, because for a long time, uh these vendors have sold their product to a particular buyer right whether it's it or the legal department or who, whoever it is who procures for these firms and and companies in the case of these that especially on the contract side they're going to actual enterprise uh companies uh, somebody's in charge of that and now is this it, what's interesting to me about this whole idea that democratization might be a new buzzword is if i'm trying to sell my wares to the you know the in-house legal department i'm gonna hype up all the cool things i can give in-house legal but if we're now moving into a world where we say we can give you stuff and other people other stakeholders in your company that you don't understand, we can give them stuff too. Uh, if those other stakeholders aren't part of the buying decision, is it now the sort of thing where we're, where, where the vendors have decided that it is actually in their interest to pitch people who don't necessarily know what the rest of their company wants? pitch hey we can do things for the rest of your company uh which you know is useful for them because uh, you know then i can be like oh yeah i'm sure those people want that but uh, but also uh is is that where we're going an idea that there's kind of a diffuse use case uh and that the buyer themselves may not understand the use case but you want to market that use case to I don't know. This is starting to sound like a Christopher Nolan movie, but the point is there's a, there's a lot of moving parts.
0: Well, there's, there's also, I mean, there's this whole idea that you, these vendors, these, especially in the CLM space and and some of the contract products like ironclad, which has raised a ton of money, got a ton of investors. Mm -hmm. And the, the legal department is a, is a finite uh, market. uh, And uh, you can't put all of your eggs in, in the basket of just that market. You need, the broader enterprise corporate market. And so you need to position your products as not just products for the legal department, but as products for enterprise organizations uh, and that are applicable to users all across that enterprise organization. And so I think that's what we're starting to see a lot of here.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important point. I know Evisort has definitely been big on that bandwagon, too, of we're not just a legal product, we're a bigger product. But I think, too, it's important to remember, particularly from the corporate side, um, thinking of another survey from a company in this space that we talked about, an its survey earlier this year, basically just made the point that yeah, so many other parts of the organization are just straight up bypassing legal. They don't really care what legal has to say. So I think for legal, particularly in corporate legal departments, there's an imperative right now we kind of need to prove our work and what we're doing. We need to prove that we're not just a cause center. We're actually adding value to the organization, particularly on the transactional side. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that they're actively looking for too: is give us this data. Let us share this data with other parts of the organization to prove that what we're doing has worth. Yeah, that makes sense.
3: Um, on, on, but on a different level, like <laughs> they're bypassing it because they're not not through any fault of their own. They're just not capable of doing their job. Right. There's a too limited resource. I think that there's a danger like that I think that
2: too limited resource. Yeah, that's why they can't do their job.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. yeah. So, but- good
2: cover. Good cover.
3: But they need to focus on the, like, no offense, but they need to focus on the day job first, right? That would be my take from that, right? Focus on the day job, get that stuff right. Focus on the processes of getting your contracts signed in the first place, getting your contracts checked, you know, whether how you use technology to do that, to make sure that, you know, whether you, whatever, there's a million different ways of doing that. But, and then once we've got that in place, then we start worrying about what the, context but but they seem to be so far off some of them doing the basics that for me that to then start thinking about what this all tells us is putting the cart before the horse
2: yeah
0: well we know zach has to go clean out his desk and then there's the big going away party that alm is going to be throwing him so uh but uh in honor of josh lennon uh who who joined us late and wanted to uh celebrate uh zach uh let's Toast one more time to Zach and wish you uh, all the best going forward.
1: Cheers! Cheers Thank guys. you very much.
4: Cheers.
1: It's been fun being a part of the panel. Thank you again for inviting me on, Bob. And I know I will still be watching.
3: Well, you can join too, Zach. You can
1: join <laughs> when, when I've got something relevant to say. I will. Good.
0: And we'll see you at Delta. A lot of us will see you at Delta anyway.
2: You will.
5: Well, You'll be at Delta. Great. Yeah, I, I will. That's that.
2: actually a that, that's actually real quick. A, that is real quick a question in the uh, chat that I was about to answer by typing but we may as well say it now. Who all is going to Ilta? I mean, I'm there. I am. Caroline's there, Bob, yeah, Jean, yeah. All right, yeah. So it, Victor, is that a no for you?
4: Yeah, yeah. I'm I, I'm not going to be able to make it. I actually okay. have some so, travel. I have, I have some travel plans coming up uh, that I'll um, I'll be I'll be I'll be out of pocket for for, for most 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 of next
2: month actually. Oh okay. Maybe could
0: we could we make Jesse happy and like just schedule all of us in one room at the same time yes. and let her.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what that's what I was trying to do, uh, and Ilta didn't <laughs> want to uh, give me uh, a suite to do it with. But, but do yeah, we need
0: a suite. Are they? We could like sit in the coffee shop or something. All right. Oh
3: no,
2: yeah. We should we should talk I mean, about that. That's true. That, that right? place that place does have stuff. Yeah, I know. Um, we should talk about a, that. I've got a calendar up. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that offline. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. All right. All right. Uh, everybody have a great weekend and uh, hope to see you back next week. Uh, and we'll watch for you in the audience next week. Zach, we're going to be taking a tendency. But be... <laughs> Sounds good.
1: All right.
5: oh. see Bye. 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 Come back, Carolyn. <laughs>